The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, here's Dr. G. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters. I'm Cheryl G., and I'll be your host for the hour. Today, we're going to be talking about community engagement. And with us today, we have two wonderful guests, and I'm going to introduce both of them. Then I'm going to ask each of them to share a little bit about themselves starting with Gus, who, um, Gus Newport. Gus is based in Oakland, California, in the northern part of California, but does quite a bit of work back on the uh, East Coast. So, Gus, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. And then also on the line today we have Dominique, uh, let's see, Betro. Did I just say that correct, uh, correct. Dominique? Betro, correct? Yep. Wonderful. And, and, and Dominique, you prefer to go by Dom? Yes. Okay, Dom is the CEO for the Family Service Association of Western Riverside County. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we go back and uh, start with Gus, and Gus, maybe ask you to share a little bit about yourself so that our listeners can have a bit of uh, insight as relates to the perspective that you bring. Okay, for the most part, I do um, consulting in the areas of community and economic development, but also with organizational development, strategy development, policy development, um, the use of data as a tool to inform as well to engage and to leverage uh, finance, et cetera, whatever else. I have directed several major community nonprofit uh, organizations. The best-known one is the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative in Boston, which is the only nonprofit community organization in the United States to have ever received eminent domain authority over land in a defined area that came through a plan which became the zoning. And then the Ford Foundation gave us a $2 million program-related investment to purchase the vacant lands and to build them out to a community land trust and a variety of other things. I've directed a community development project in Palm Beach County, Florida, the Partnership for Neighborhood Initiative, and also the Neighborhood Partners Initiative in New York. I cut my teeth in the Civil Rights Movement, and from 1979 to 1986, I was the mayor of Berkeley, California. Okay, well, fabulous. Well, you bring a wealth of experience and knowledge to the show, and we welcome you. Thank you. Yes. And, Dom, can we get you to introduce yourself and say a little bit about the um, perspective that you bring? Sure. I'm a uh, social worker by training with a master's degree <clears throat> from Fordham University in New York. I came out to California in 1985 to direct a uh, small family service agency at that time. 
which had a budget of about 300,000 a year and now has a budget of about 24 million a year with 450 employees. I teach at various colleges here in, in Southern California, as well as back at Notre Dame and South Bend in the summer. Um, I was elected to the city council here in Riverside um, from 2003 to 2007. Um, and um, I also teach abroad internationally, non-governmental organizations. My specialties are social entrepreneurship, leadership, and change and nonprofit management. Fabulous, Dom. You bring a wonderful wealth of knowledge and experience to the, to the show, and we appreciate having you on the line. Thank you. Yes. Um, Gus, I'm going to ask you just to share your thoughts on this topic with regards to um, what, community, or what community engagement is basically all about and why it's so important for those that work in the public and nonprofit sectors. Well, it's extremely important that we engage the people who are basically a part of community to engage their thoughts as well as to give them oversight as what it would require to rebuild communities. So often these communities have been built from the top down, and the causes of decline in most inner-city communities is not because of the people who live there, because of failed public policy. Beginning at the end of the Second World War, when this country went through an era of deindustrialization, and then as we began to move major industries and middle class, mainly white, to the suburbs where we began building malls and we built 37 million miles of federal freeway that dissected the inner city economically prone uh, areas. And so when we rebuilt these under the Johnson era, we just came with a lot of programs like community action, uh, model cities, things that were categorical approaches, which years later we have found didn't cut to the quick because we didn't engage people. We forgot the culture of what communities once were going back to the Old South and whatever else, you know, the proverbial African village where blue-collar, white-collar, unemployed at such a little side-by-side, but there was a common respect. And I think it's getting back to that culture as well as using data to leverage what the assets are in these communities so that they can inform financing and whatever else is a tool. And the, the thing to remember, these problems didn't happen yesterday. They won't be corrected tomorrow. So it takes a while. It is no overnight thing, which we find so many uh, institutions, public institutions, and nonprofits seeking so they can continue their funding at the expense of what happens to those communities. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Thanks, Dominique. I'm sorry. Thanks, Gus. Dominique, I'm going to ask you to jump in and just um, share your thoughts on what effective community engagement looks like and um, and certainly anything uh, building on or in response to what Gus has kind of started us off with. Well, you know, um, I happen to think that working in community is a very American thing to do, and community engagement speaks to the roots of this country when you think about it. I mean, our images of uh, barn raising and the town hall meetings and the covered wagons coming um, to the West uh, all have to do with communities coming together, identifying needs, and developing some kind of responses to them. And so it's the way we've always operated in this country. It, uh, way back when, it was, a, it was a big difference from the European model or other models in society and what drove people uh, to the shores of this country. And so I think, um, you know, in the modern age, we, we somehow um, 
don't remember or, or maybe don't um, fully appreciate how, whether we refer to it as grassroots or, or neighbors helping neighbor, that um, that is the way for much of our history we have gotten big things done in this country, starting with that basic building block of, uh, of engaging one another uh, where we live in our, in our local neighborhoods around shared issues and, and shared interests that uh, we then move on to organize about and try to make a difference in. Mm-hmm. Great. And, uh, Dom, can you think of a situation where that you've been involved with or have observed that would be uh, one that you might be able to um, share um, as relates to community engagement having been done well? Yeah, I, uh, we run uh, six community centers um, here at Family Service throughout um, the county of Riverside, and um, we, each of those centers is very different. We try to respond to the different needs in the different communities, and uh, very much the model that I, always ho- I have always valued in my career and learning experiences goes back to the settlement house models of the early 1900s. But anyway, a community we were asked to go and run a community center in was uh, known as the methamphetamine capital of uh, Riverside County. And, uh, you know, people I can remember uh, asking me why we were doing that. Weren't we crazy for trying to take that on? And our feeling was that, you know, that tag on that community was wrong, that um, the, the problems that it did exist in that area were were just a small percentage of the people compared to what was there. And so we went out there with uh, an asset-based strategy rather than the uh, the old uh, glasses-half-empty strategy of trying to focus on the problems. We focused on where are the assets in this community, and we uncovered a wealth of people. You know, 98%, 99% of the people we're trying to live good, healthy lives, bringing up their families. Um, we found very close-knit uh, religious, church-based uh, assets, and we focused on building from that, engaging the folks into the life of the community center, inviting them back in. We did have a methamphetamine lab right on the block of the community center that closed down shortly thereafter, um, with a combination of uh, county and police involvement, but it was at the behest of the people who had come together and said, hey, this is really our community, not the, the way you've defined us. And, uh, and we've been out there since 1996 now, and, and from a very small $100,000 program in services, there's now $2 million in services in that community with a very vibrant, engaged, um, active politically and otherwise uh, community that was largely prior to that unempowered, left out, kind of marginalized. And um, that was an eye-opener to me and I think to our agency that um, um, focus on assets, as mm-hmm. Gus was saying, and mm-hmm. and... Yes, you got to take care of deficits, but there's a heck of a lot more assets that you could build from mm-hmm. when working in community. Okay, great. And then yeah, I know you said um, assets, um, assets-based um, 
strategy, and in my mind I translate that into appreciative inquiry model with regards to looking at assets plus vision. Is that the model that you use, or is there another asset-based strategy model that you were... We had our folks trained in the ABCD model from Northwestern University, piloted by John McKnight, Mm -hmm. and um, it stands for Asset-Based Community Development. It's probably similar to what you're describing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but but it is going out and identifying and engaging the community in a different view of itself through reality-based identification of real assets. The first thing we did out there was create a book of uh, community assets of all the people that could do things, whether it was driving someone or sewing or babysitting or painting. or And, and so that the community began, began to see that, hey, wait a second, we got a lot going for ourselves here, not what people are saying about us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think, and that's very similar. I recently visited with um, Angela Blanchard in um Houston, uh, part of an ANCA conversation, the United Neighborhood Centers of America, them too kind of transitioning out of that settlement um, movement space. And mm-hmm. they used a very similar approach, um, pretty much wrapped around the appreciative inquiry approach. But um, I think both of those with regards to kind of like modeling the asset um, and where the resources are and kind of building from that is a very good tip with regards to for some of our listeners just to think about and research um, and getting started and or maybe even enhancing what they may be doing already Definitely. as it relates to community engagement. We're going to um, transition to a break. And, Gus, when we come back, I'm going to ask you just to um, join in with regards to your thoughts on that. Sure. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. Please stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email G at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Get ready to lead in today's ever-changing, diverse community and global market. Attend the advance. Improve your cultural competence, ability to lead inclusion initiatives, and effectiveness in serving today's diverse community and global market. Join thought leaders from across the nation, June 2nd through the 4th in San Diego for The Advance. Log on to www.theadvance.org. That's www.theadvance.org to learn more and register. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You 
are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Hey, we're back with more on Leadership Matters. Today we're talking about community engagement. And with us today, we have uh, two guests, Gus Newport, who's a consultant based in Northern California, uh, but has done quite a bit of work on the East Coast. Thanks for staying with us, Gus. And then also on the line, we have Dominique Vitro, who's the CEO of the Family Services Association of Western Riverside County. Uh, thanks, Dom, for being on the line with us today as well. My pleasure. Yes, Gus, before we went to break, I indicated we would start back with you and seeing if there's some thoughts that were triggered um, in hearing the, one might say, case study that Dom presented in the first segment. I'm going to ask you if there's anything you'd like to, um, any, or any thoughts. No, I'll just compliment and pick up. Mm-hmm. First of all, I want to say that when we talk about assets based, our greatest assets are people. Mm-hmm. So often people talk about assets, they're thinking about buildings or construction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I served on several panels with John McKnight when he first started this approach and had to challenge him on that because he always defined these are the assets in your community. And hadn't, although he wanted to empower the poor or whatever else, hadn't talked about the strengths that, that people generally bring. And I say that because uh, I went back to Dudley Street. Oh, I went back to Boston as a senior fellow at UMass Boston. They invited me to be the first senior fellow to William Monroe Trotter Institute to teach a course on alternative planning and to work with black and Latino legislatures to help them with public policy. And this community approached me, and I was just extremely impressed. One of the things I discovered was that in these communities, 70% had a household of usually single women who I consider master planners because they know where, if you build something, it should be located because they're trapsing through these neighborhoods. And so... Most recently, I taught a graduate course at MIT 2006-2008, and the faculty used to ask me, where do you get those kinds of procedures, those policies that is nothing in the literature? And I said, you write, because you don't come to people in communities or myself or something to write this stuff. You keep it from your own categorical approach. And so I'm saying that to say that through both asset analysis as well as using GIS and Google Maps and a lot of MIT and various other university students to work with us, we gathered enough data to inform why this area was ripe for financing, uh, even though it looked like parts of Detroit and other places do nowadays beforehand. Most recently, the Boston Globe has published a couple of articles that the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative is the only inner-city community in this country where a project was run has not been one housing foreclosure. Because the community said to us, we want home ownership, but these are conditions and told us what their annual incomes were, 15000 for a family of four, four and other kinds of things. And so we went and we searched and we got come up with the community land trust, which means, you know, it limits the equity because the land is maintained by a nonprofit. But in order to grow wealth, we put money into CD accounts for families, match it with IDAs as well as put money into an endowment at the birth of a child that comes to term when it's time for that child to go to college. So there are creative ways to do things and not just perpetuate welfare dependency, which mm-hmm. so many of these projects do if we're really going to rebuild sound communities to be functional. Mm-hmm. I guess I think that was um I think those are fabulous 
um, strategies. I'm going to ask you to really just kind of repeat the core because I think if someone's taking notes, they may have missed some of those. I, I love the creative thinking about that. So you have to land trust that limited the, um, limited the equity and at the same time. But, it, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it stabilized their lives because they own the house. Right. They don't own the land. So they asked us to go out. And this was something that was founded by uh, Mahat Gandhi in the 30s when he was trying to find strategies to help uh, mm-hmm. people who were victims of the caste system and whatever else. And right. And then what were some of the other strategies that were built well, into our, that happened in tandem with that? You, you named a few. What's that? Please. I said you named a few. You said that there was the, so you got the land ownership thing going on, even though the equity was limited, then there were other. And uh, the community owned the land. A community nonprofit owned the land. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, a democratically elected governance body mm-hmm. of mainly uh, majority community residents and nonprofits. Uh, representatives from churches, small business, etc., so that it basically represented the the whole neighborhood as well as there were seats for elected right. officials, but but we never filled them, although oh. they participated because they discovered that we could do more with this kind of process than, than mm-hmm. the city government it could itself. Right. So then the other things that were done to help these families build and establish wealth, you said something about uh, savings. We'll we put monies into a CD account that was matched by IDA mm-hmm. accounts that would grow wealth for them. And we also put monies into an endowment at the birth of a child that would come to terms by when it was time for the child to go to college mm-hmm. so that we were moving people towards the next generation and strengthening them, but also stabilizing their lives. We taught facilitation skills to parents, to nonprofit groups, to small businesses, and to the private sector so that everybody could engage and discuss what their priorities and needs were so we could bring that into a whole master plan. And we're talking about an area that was only 1.3 square mile areas. When we got through developing the plan, we projected it would cost $183 million. That plan, the, the amount of housing, new business, everything has greatly been exceeded in an area which used to look like Beirut is now one of the most functional areas in a city like Boston. That is, that is a major financial center which has more colleges and universities in any city in the country. And so the combination of engaging community, using universities to assist, and engaging everybody else, but also we got Northwestern to do a study that showed the poor has a better track record of paying mortgages and small business loans when given a chance because many of them work two jobs just to pay rent, and they don't know anything about Chapter 11. So once the banks discovered that, when CRA came around, they saw a new market, and we put together two major community development corporations that they put millions of dollars in for affordable housing as well as small business assistance. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Dom, anything you want to jump in and add? Well, uh, we try to keep focused on, on three uh, things in engaging community. Um, one is a customer focus. What does the, who is the customer and what do they value? not so much what we think they need or want, but where are they at and, and what do they really need and want. And uh, engaging them on that level um, so as to empower them with the direction that, you know, whatever we may do as an organization uh, stems from. The second is uh, community-centered. Now, a lot of organizations you know, will say that they're community-based. 
And all that is, in my opinion, is a location strategy that you're based in the community. But I'm talking about truly being community-centered. And like, like, you know, we've been talking, um, making sure that uh, it's the community's needs that are first and foremost in um, the collective needs and, of course, organizing and developing to get to that point um, so that that is indeed how, if it's a formal organization, how responses are developed, whether it's going after the funding, particular types of funding, or developing certain types of programs, that it, it comes out of that customer and community focus. And then the third wheel, and these are kind of our three C's, is communication. Is this doesn't happen unless you have good communication uh, back and forth um, from the community, from the individual residents, whether that's through newsletters, advisory boards, um, uh, local conferences, different ways that information is shared, that successes are celebrated, uh, that needs are identified, um, there has to be various communication strategies and tools that kind of act as the glue to hold it uh, together because it just doesn't happen because you want it to happen. You have to uh, engage, and communication, uh, education is uh, one of the primary ways that um, you start to develop communities, develop, I should say, with community, um, to address what uh, the residents feel is important. Okay, great. Thank you. Gus, anything you'd add with regards to um, other examples that you would want to highlight or um, just uh, proven practices from experience that really kind of helps drive home effectiveness as relates to engaging the community? Well, just to pick up on some of the things that Dom said, is we developed a lot of subcommittees around the areas that people are most concerned about. Uh, subcommittees on youth, seniors, uh, schools, small business, etc., and people could serve on whichever these subcommittees they want. With providing them with facilitation skills, they were able to really process this kind of stuff. And they they they, they discovered things such as in the elementary schools, the majority of kids had scratches on their legs. But these elementary schools had put cement yards in the play yard. Mother saw that and came and said, well, dig that up and put sand and grass there. Mm-hmm. And it made, it's just a human difference like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so just let me have you say a little bit more about the facilitation skills um, that you work to teach and develop in community members. Could you say a little bit more about specifically? Yeah, we actually hired a, a professional mm-hmm. facilitation group uh, uh, I forget what the name of the organization was, social, but to give people the methodology of how to put together agendas, how to define the areas they want to talk about, how to come out of these discussions with both a process and a product that they could use to inform next steps or whatever else, uh, short-term work strategies, uh, strategic plan, business plans, et cetera, and whatever else so that people begin focusing on the issues and not each other. Mm-hmm. This was a community that was made up of 45% African-American, 30% Latino, um, 20% or so Cape Verdean, another percentage of Haitian, and a, and a 
small percentage are white. This community, through a facilitation skill, decided to give three seats to each ethnic group to be on this board. And they also decided to translate every piece of literature as well as get some United Nations equipment so that we could translate in the different languages so that everybody could participate. Because so often, immigrants have skills and things that they've used in their country, whatever else, that don't get applied. If you bring everybody to a common table, then you strengthen, you know, resolve of community, mm-hmm. etc., whatever else. So it's that whole process of engaging people, creating a spirit, a cultural spirit. All this took place mainly in the various churches. The churches became the sounding boards and whatever else. And unlike a lot of inner city churches today, these churches serve the community. We got a lot of churches in inner city communities now that serve people who used to live there but have moved to the suburbs mm-hmm. and don't serve the communities which they're based in and whatever else. Mm-hmm. It's how you focus on those assets and the strengths as well as the small businesses wanted to maintain and what we do is put together a small business co-op situation so that they could purchase in large quantities common goods they sold which would allow them to compete with Target and the other stores Wonderful. so that people could shop locally and, and, and pay the same kinds of prices. It's just a, a matter of learning and, uh, and, and understanding and defining right. what you can do that makes communities more comfortable and, 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 and a way of manifesting, you know, the, the assets as well is what could be to strengthen the resolve. Excellent. Thank you. Um, thank you both. I think you brought some good information. We're going to um, prepare to take a short break, and when we come back, Valerie Wright, our associate um, producer, is going to be joining us. She has questions that have been emailed in from the audience, and we'll be answering those. So we're going to ask you to please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email Dr. G at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Get ready to lead in today's ever-changing, diverse community and global market. Attend the Advance. Improve your cultural competence, ability to lead inclusion initiatives, and effectiveness in serving today's diverse community and global market. Join thought leaders from across the nation, June 2nd through the 4th in San Diego for The Advance. Log on to www.theadvance.org. That's www.theadvance.org to learn more and register. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca provides those of you eager to invest well in real estate with the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus is to help you maximize your real estate investment dollars. Listen live to the brightest minds in investment real estate every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter L. Mosca, where America learns to invest. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters. Um, today we're talking about community engagement. We've gotten a wealth of knowledge from our two guests being shared here. Uh, Gus Newport, consultant based in Northern California. A lot of work done on the East Coast. Again, thank you so much for staying with us, Gus. And also on the line we have Dominic Vitro, who's the CEO of um, Family Service Association of Western Riverside County. Thank you also, Don, for staying with us. Thank you. And Valerie Wright, who's the Director of Organization Development here at the Neighborhood House Association here in San Diego, California, as well as the Associate Producer of Leadership Matters, has joined us as well. And Valerie's been monitoring and pulling in um, emails on this topic. And Valerie, I'm going to ask you to just um, jump on in and um, maybe start with uh, quite some of the questions that you've received, and we'll ask our guests to respond. Okay. Thank you, Dr. G. Um, good afternoon, Gus and Don. Good afternoon, um, We have a question from Charles in Florida. He wants to know, are there differences in how you would approach community engagement based on the ethnic background of residents? If so, can you discuss some of the different approaches? I don't think there's necessarily a difference, but it does help to know the, the various cultures. Um, one of the things that I've found that the true approach to community development is an integration of philosophy, sociology, anthropology, economics, principles, ethics, etc., etc., everything that creates a, a, a tranquil society. And I think you have to be equally responsive to each ethnic group based on their culture. One of the things we did in Dudley Street was annually, each summer, we would celebrate uh, African American Week, European American Week, Haitian American Week, um, Latino American Week, and whatever else. And at the end of the summer, we'd have a picnic where we pinched a big tent and uh, we created questions on these various ethnic groups based on the history of where they came from, the dress, the culture, the food, and we, we, we created a page inside of what we call a passport. When people came in in those days, we used to take one of those old uh, cameras and, and, and print a picture right away and put it on the front of their passport. And then there were ten questions on each ethnic group that everybody that came through had to answer. And we stamped their passport if they answered seven out of ten. This began to make 
everybody honor the cultures of each other rather than getting caught up in differences what happened through politics and things and whatever. And as a result, we found that people generally are looking for the same kinds of things, you know, uh, a tranquil life, a safe life, uh, good schools for their children, uh, access to food, jobs, etc., whatever else. So you formulate discussions through those various languages and whatever around that to get to a common goal. I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, you're making a lot of sense. I'm thinking that's Gus speaking. Is that Gus? Yes. Great. Thank you, Gus. Gus, anything else you want to add? And then, Dom, I'll ask you to jump in. Well, just that um, we have to always be aware of how inclusive the general community has allowed various ethnic groups to be. And if you take that into consideration or whatever else. We have to take language into consideration in all those things. And um, I think, you know, it's getting back to the base of where many of us come from. You know, we're all God's children and, and, and approach it from that, from that standpoint and just be equally inducive uh, and whatever else is, is as far as engaging people. But, I mean, mm-hmm. we got to understand their languages. We need to be able to chart these things out reason we use all kinds of data and stuff, uh, let them share with us their history of certain ways of developing things, construction, whatever else, even making clear the methods of financing, as well as approaches to schools, etc. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much, Gus. Dom, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think what I always try to keep in mind is um, the salad bowl. You know, in the past we had the uh, the metaphor of the melting pot, but I think in this day and age, it's much more appropriate to think of our communities as a salad bowl, where it's a mixture of a lot of different things, and each thing has their very special nuances and characteristics. And I think if if you approach uh, community engagement that way, uh, then it's okay to be different with different ethnic groups. Uh, the community I described earlier. And since we've been working with it since 1996, has changed from um, African American predominantly to Latino, and so uh, that changed some of the dynamics. I, I would agree with Gus that the strategies and the tactics you might use to organize community don't change, but certainly your sensitivities, like something as simple as it would be ridiculous for us not to have Spanish-speaking capacity at the at the center as the community changed uh, in order to engage people and and you might get engaged through different institutions whether you might be church based religious based or more informal organization based depending on the ethnic group you're working with so uh you have to be aware of and once again if you start from that perspective of who is the customer and what do they value, I think um, you're much better off, uh, whatever the ethnicity, whatever the dynamic is that you're trying to uh, be aware of and engage around, um, you start with that, and um, and that leads you in the directions you need to go uh, in order to be successful. Okay, great. Thank you, Dom, and thank you, Gus, for responding to Charles's question. Valerie, did you have a second question from a, um, from, a get, from a listener? Yes, I have a question from Carlos in Minnesota. 
Uh, Carlos wants to know what happens when community residents disengage. Uh, are there strategies that he can employ to help residents return to the process? Okay. I guess you want to start us off with that one as well? Yeah, I think often when communities or community residents disengage, it's because, you know, we have that saying, there's one in every neighborhood. There's often been somebody who's been a bully or who's tried to command the discussion forever to keep him or herself in a leadership position, not necessarily listening to the priority of what people want to deal with. And, 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 and people, generally you're talking about the working poor or immigrants or whatever else, get intimidated by that loud voice. Now, in the old days, I'm four years old in baseball. I come from the Civil Rights Movement. We'd have called him a Tom and just put him out to sleep. But uh, <laughs> now, now, nowadays, you've got to take it from approach. But that's why you got to keep focused on the issues and mm-hmm. continue to reiterate: we've come together to accomplish this, 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 and that, and just create a, a, a sort of a wall so that the majority of people are not responding or reacting or intimidated by those who will try to separate or divide so that they can stay in a leadership position, which usually results in some kind of income for them or, 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 or something else. But that's why when you engage communities in planning or whatever else, you give them a history of analysis, and the person facilitating the discussion doesn't come in there like he or she has the answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You say to them, what, what is it you don't like? What is the vision for what you'd like to see this community? And let them go through a dreaming process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how you identify the priorities Great. that have to be taken and whatever else. And that's how you develop work plans and whatever okay. else. And Great. continue to come back to those to measure if that's what we're doing. And also, rumors have a tendency to pop up. So you've got to be able to share with people what are the reasons why some things aren't getting done as fast, be it from the city bureaucracy or whatever else, so they understand the incidents and the causes, so they don't think that something's not happening because games are being played somewhere. Okay. Thank you, Gus. Don, let me have you jump in here. Well, you know, it depends on what the issue was and what um, what the uh, particular tactic was. I, um, I can't tell from the question, but, um, for example, it may not be a bad thing if people disengage, if it's been a high-charged, uh, community uh, organizing effort around uh, being against something or trying to stop something. There might be a, a normal life cycle to that, that some people will disengage after a period. But <clears throat> I think the important thing is not to assume and to ask. I would want to know, and so whether it's through your questionnaire or I would prefer face-to-face uh, interviews, talking to uh, why uh, a person or if it was a, a sector of people that were disengaging, uh, the, the important thing would be not to avoid going to the customer and asking, you know, what was driving this, what, why was this happening, so that if nothing else you could learn from it, but also in case there was some adjustment. I mean, sometimes people do fall out in working in communities. There are certain sensitivities and uh, you may or may not be on top of all of it. So I think uh, that communication piece, it, it just doesn't 
you know, it doesn't, because someone leaves the group, it doesn't mean that you just forget about it and stop engaging. You may want to continue that through to find out why, why that happened at the very least and, um, and then determine whether or not, you know, some other type of strategy uh, is necessary to keep people engaged. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Um, Valerie, I'm going to ask you to maybe just share with our listeners how they can contact you or the, the show to either ask a question or to request future topics for discussion. Okay. We have uh, a one eight um, number, one eight six six four seven two five seven eight nine, um where callers can phone in their questions or they can email Dr. G at innovisions.org and that's dr.g at innovisions.org Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Valerie, and thank you uh, both Gus and um, Dom for responding to our listeners' questions. We're going to take a short break and then be right back to wrap up here with a little bit more on Leadership Matters. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Get ready to lead in today's ever-changing, diverse community and global market. Attend the Advance. Improve your cultural competence, ability to lead inclusion initiatives, and effectiveness in serving today's diverse community and global market. Join thought leaders from across the nation, June 2nd through the 4th in San Diego for The Advance. Log on to www.theadvance.org. That's www.theadvance.org to learn more and register. When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email drg at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You 
are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters. Uh, talking on um, community engagement, and as we kind of move into this final segment, I'm going to ask Gus and Dom to both just provide us with some final thoughts, lessons learned, tips that leaders can use as they think about ways they can go about effectively engaging the community. Dom, why don't we start with you? Well, I think the first thing I would emphasize is trust. Never forget that it's like any relationship. It has to start with trust. So you need to be sincere, you need to um, know who you're working with and invest the time in, in understanding what their needs and wants are to build that trust. The second issue I would emphasize is, is stewardship versus being the expert. Is um, um, We are guests in these communities, we are there to lend our services and our assistance but um, long after we're gone, those families and those institutions are going to still be there. And so I think we have to never forget the fact that we are stewards. And then the third thing that I always try to keep in mind, and, you know, Peter Drucker said this best. He said, uh, patriotism is the willingness to die for one's country. Citizenship is the willingness to contribute to one's country. And God bless those people who are patriotic and are willing to go and defend us. But there's a lot to be said for the strength in this country of citizenship and people at the very local level organizing themselves to make the lives of all better. And I think we need to approach that as a privilege, as something that's very American and, and something that we should treat with a high regard and high respect and, and uh put into it a lot of effort and a lot of, um, uh, a, a lot of thinking and a, and a lot of uh, goodwill in, in making it happen. And you'd be surprised how people will come together and respond to that type of agenda. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Loved all three of those um, points that you raised there. Um, I could see the significance of the trust, the stewardship, as well as valuing the, the patriotic um, value, and then also just really understanding and underscoring the importance of the citizenship and, and just the difference it makes in our communities and country. Mm-hmm. Um, Gus, why don't we ask you to jump in and share your final thoughts, lessons learned, or tips as well. Yeah, I think especially in these difficult economic times, we need to be able to engage people where they are. We need to identify a priority of what their needs are and what is most problematic to them. We need to make sure through a policy analysis that we're leveraging all the resources possible to fulfill some of those conditions. An example is uh, uh, Van Jones, who was hired first as Obama's Green Czar, came from Oakland, and he and I talk fairly regularly. He was in charge of $87 billion, and when he was removed from that position based on an attack from the right wing, he told me that $82 billion still had not been spent. 
One, why? Because counties and cities did not have the systems to look at the skills of the unskilled labor force. There were $19 billion available for retrofitting low-income houses as well as training low-income people for those jobs and whatever else. That would have made a great difference. I mean, one, it would have provided jobs for the low-income. The other thing is we would have been looking at, you know, changing the, the energy grid. And, of course, we know we need to be looking for alternatives to fossil fuel when we look at the BPI spill in Louisiana and what's happened most recently in Japan. So I think we seem to look down or talk down to people rather to engage them what are the real problems and how collectively we get them together as well as we raise them to a level of public policy. When you look at the massive cuts in education that's taking place in the state of California, I mean, how are we going to develop the next generation if we're going to develop alternative jobs and things like that? We've lost our competitive edge. We're now 27th in the world in education in this country. And, I mean, it's not only are we dealing with this in California, but the federal government just has a budget that's good for two weeks annually until they adopt the budget. So how do we engage people to identify, one, their priorities and needs, but how do we train them to be a relevant force that we can become politically astute to identify and require what's needed while doing it through a spiritual pursuit and whatever else that's going to be beneficial and allows us to develop a better life for the next generation, which is what we've all always aspired to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, I think those are powerful questions to ponder and thoughts to um, reflect on. Um, both of you have been just fabulous guests today and have brought just, a, um, I think, a wealth of uh, knowledge for us to all really consider. Um, any additional thoughts from either of you? Well, again, I think, you know, um, when we when we go into communities, as I said, no one of us comes in with the answers. Uh, I learn something new every day from people in communities. Um, as I say, I do a lot of work on these, although right now I'm doing some work with the city of Fresno around this downtown and community planning uh, master plan and whatever else. But again, it's all about engaging communities. But a couple of years ago, I was working in Long Island with the Long Island Community Foundation with the Shinnecock Indian Nation. For the first time, I found out that um, uh, Native Americans cannot leverage uh, financing on the reservation. They can't incur any debt, which goes back to the laws that were passed, you know, post mm-hmm. what I won't get into. Mm-hmm. So but then we have to come up with strategies to help them Utilize. That's why so many Native American uh, reservation people go after casinos, because they can't leverage debt on their own reservation, mm-hmm. uh, even though they might sit on natural resources, mm-hmm. like bodies of water where there's fish and, yeah. and other kinds of things. So I think we've got a lot to learn and analyze, but we have to be able to share it with people so that they can understand mm-hmm. why these things exist and so that we can have an impact on public policy. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at public policy in the United States, it's usually created to fill a void for the moment by some politician. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't come from a history of analysis that looks at what could go forward to build and restructure mm-hmm. life as it should be lived and is subject to adjustment. So I think it's all about learning and engaging. That doesn't come from any one area. I mean, 
we we are all trained in various areas, like I say, of philosophy, sociology, anthropology, economics, finance, whatever. But how do we integrate them as well as integrate the thinking of the least amongst us mm-hmm. so that their voices have a real say in how we rebuild and redevelop? Great, and I think that that's a wonderful point to underscore um, with community engagement, as you talked about, Gus, um, engaging people where they are and um, also just the significance of the policy analysis and um, helping people develop the skills, facilitation skills, to maybe do something about um, those conditions. And, and as as Dom has um, definitely put on our radar screen, understanding that we are guests very often in these communities and we're there to be of support and assist. I'm going to, um, again, thank both of you for being with us. I'm going to ask our listeners, there's a banner on the um, Leadership Matters workshop, I want to say our um, viewing page, that's for the Advance, and I said I would give a shout-out to the Advance, the www.theadvance.org, as a wonderful forum that's coming up, we'll encourage you to participate in. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and ask you to join us next week on Wednesday at 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time for more on how you can make your leadership matter. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. G is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.